This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. Grace, if you don't understand it, you're pretty sure as a believer you're definitely experiencing God's grace, though you may not understand it fully. But if you don't know, it's God's unmerited favor that He has extended to those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and His resurrection. There's an acronym for the word grace, and I kind of love this. It's labeled God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Sometimes we might not fully understand the gift of grace. However, as believers, we all have experienced grace within our lives. In today's message, we'll learn from Pastor Eddie that grace is unmerited favor. Grace, as he explains, is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's a gift that God has extended to those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. It's a gift given and not earned. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie as he begins part one of his message. the book of Romans. The book of Romans is the sixth book of the New Testament, written by the Apostle Paul to the believers, the church in Rome. Now, I think an introduction is important for every book, and I say more so with the book of Romans, because uh, the study of the book of Romans have often proven to be a life-changing exercise for every believer throughout church history. The book of Romans has changed the life and transformed people uh, throughout church history of very, uh, I I think, important, prominent men within the body of Christ throughout history. And so it influenced people like Augustine. Augustine, uh, in his letter, The City of God, was founded on his study of the book of Romans. We find Martin Luther. Martin Luther was a Catholic monk who was greatly influenced by just one verse, Romans chapter 1, verse 17. And in that verse, it says, the just shall live by faith. Coming out of religion, works, and rituals, he comes across one verse. It's not by works. It's not by rituals. It's by faith. And because of it, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis on the church door of Wittenberg. Uh, From there, changed uh, history. The Reformation started. It also influenced a man by the name of John Bunyan. You may not know his name, but you know his classic book. John Bunyan was one who was in prison for sharing the gospel. And while in prison sharing the gospel, he read the book of Romans. And that's when he wrote the famous classic book, Pilgrim's Progress. We also have John Wesley, which I find interesting. In his journal, he writes that he was an unsaved preacher. That's heavy an unsaved preacher, and after reading the book of Romans, completely understood God's way of salvation. And so these are just a few of many, many of the men throughout church history that their lives changed and transformed by the book in the study of Revelation. Today, they're preachers and teachers, commentators, scholars, 
all agree that the book of Romans is the most powerful. And can I add the inexhaustible, inexhaustible book in the entire New Testament. As a matter of fact, there, there are literally commentaries after commentaries of any book in the New Testament. Romans have the most commentaries. As a matter of fact, a lot of commentators didn't have enough time uh, in their lifetime to uh, write about other epistles, but they wrote volumes of the book of Romans. And it's a powerful book. Now, the theme of Romans, it's labeled the grace of God revealed. The grace of God revealed. While other letters in the New Testament, all the other letters in the epistles, they focus more on church, on its challenges and problems. However, the Paul's letter to the church of Rome focuses more on God's grace, his great plan of redemption. Now, Grace, if you don't understand it, you're pretty sure as a believer, you're definitely experiencing God's grace, though you may not understand it fully. But if you don't know, it's God's unmerited favor that he has extended to those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his resurrection. There's an acronym for the word grace, and I kind of love this. It's labeled God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Now, for you students, I'd like to give a little outline of the whole epistle, the letter, where it's going, the journey that it's going to take us. There is an outline. I have it listed up there, and we can leave that up there for those that are writing this down. Chapters 1 through 8 talks about doctrine and faith. We'll see that in the first eight chapters of the book of Romans. As a matter of fact, the book of Romans was studied in many colleges and universities for those who were studying law. And you're going to find out by the time we get to chapters 1, chapter 4, actually, they were to study the first four chapters. If you were studying law in the United States, uh, is that anymore? But they had had them study Paul's letters, the first four chapters, and we'll find out why. Chapters 9 through 11 speaks about Israel, Israel's past, present, and future. So it speaks of hope. And then the remainder part of the letter, chapters 12 to 16, talks about practical love. Now, Paul is writing to the church in Rome. Who started the church in Rome? We've seen the life and ministry of Paul through his three missionary journeys, and we find that Paul, the Lord has used him to birth a lot of churches. But who birthed the church in Rome? The Bible doesn't tell us. It is unknown. However, when we look at Acts chapter 2, during the birth of the church, there on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit blew upon the people in the upper room, there was like 22 people in the upper room, the Holy Spirit blew upon them, and they spoke in tongues in many different languages. And it mentions all the people that were there from different parts of the world, because Jews came from all over to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And so there were men there from Rome, men there from Rome. So most likely, um, it could be very well the men who were there at the birth of the church. They made it back to Rome. And so they went back after listening to the very first sermon ever preached in the whole New Testament by Peter. Remember when he shared the gospel? 3,000 gave their lives. So part of this 3,000 people from Rome. You never know. You never know what's going to happen when you share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where are they going to end up? They get saved. They surrender their life to Christ. And they're fire for the Lord. And all of a sudden, the world is turned upside down. For the gospel, that is. <laughs> And so now we, what we have, we have finished the book of Acts, and it's hard to find when you look at the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And then you get to the other epistles. The book of Acts really filled in that gap. 
We have Jesus, the life of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, and how do we get these epistles? How do we get 13 of them, or 14 if you include the book of Hebrews, which I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, but that's another topic. Out of the 14 epistles, how do we get the gospels from the gospels to the epistles? There's a man named Paul, and we saw his life transformed in the book of Acts. The book of Acts fills that gap between the gospels and the epistles, and this is what Paul has done. The Lord has used him. We saw him during his three missionary journeys. We saw his radical change to Christ there on the road of Damascus. And at the end of his third missionary journey, if you were with us, you remember that Paul had a desire to go to Rome. He had a passion to go to Rome, not to go sightseeing or go there as a tourist. He wanted to go there to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is where we get it in Acts chapter 19, verse 21. It says, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in his spirit. When he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, he was heading to Jerusalem to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And as he was passing, this passion that birthed in his heart to go to Rome, to share the gospel was with him. And it was so strong. And by the time he gets to the city of Corinth, in Corinth around AD 56 to AD 58, this is when Paul, still having that passion to go to Rome, takes out a scroll of papyrus and a pen, and he's writing this letter to the believers in Rome. Still having a passion. There's no argument that Paul is the author of this book. He's written 13 of the New Testament, 13 epistles in the New Testament, or 14 if you believe the book of Hebrews. And let's go there. The book of Hebrews has no author. It doesn't identify the author. But based on the writing styles of the book of Hebrews, is that consistent of the other epistles of Paul? And the writer of the book of Hebrews knows his Bible. He's quoting prophecies. He's quoting Psalms. He's quoting everything. So the writing style is accredited to Paul. That's neither here nor there, but can you imagine the Bible that's on your lap right now, the New Testament, Paul the Apostle wrote 13 to 14 of those letters. And throughout the letter, we know that though it was Paul writing to Paul, he had this passion to write to the believers in Rome, but he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Every book that's written in our Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul himself declares this when he writes his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That is why the Holy Spirit inspired the book. We know Paul wrote it, but he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. But notice what that verse says. It was written, and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. It doesn't say tickling ears and sermonettes. And that's why the church is hurting today. Who's learning the Bible? That's what the scripture is there for. The Holy Spirit intention was for us to learn and grow. Now, though Paul, he's the author of this book, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he didn't actually write, pen the letter. He wasn't the one who penned this letter. The one who actually did the actual transcription of the letter, the actual writing, was Paul assistant, Tertius. You find that at the end of Romans, in Romans chapter 16, verse 22, he says, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. So, written by Paul. He's going to start off with the letter. So we're going to now dive into our journey and study the book of Romans, I promise you. If you study it, not only when we gather together here, but take it home with your notes or study the chapter beforehand. I guarantee you, you will be transformed. Guarantee it. The word of the Lord never returns back void. 
And this is one of those powerful books. And so now we're going to begin with chapter 1, verse 1. And as Paul starts out with a salutation. Out of all Paul's epistles, this salutation is the longest. Seven verses long. So saying hello for seven verses, boy, you can know he had a passion. He was desired to really go to Rome. And he wanted them to know his heart and his passion. So let's look at verse 1. Verse 1, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separate to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in his holy scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. It sure is different from saying dear (laughs) or to whom we may concern. Now, We just can't fly by the verses. That's not what we do here. We have to look and study at the text, especially when it comes to a book of Romans. It has a lot of doctrine, a lot of theology in it, and I'm pretty sure it makes you understand the word of God. Now, application in Scripture is very important, but it becomes more effective when we observe and interpret the text. When you observe and interpret the text, then its application becomes more effective. That's why we teach observation, interpretation, and application. We need to observe the text, read it. We need to interpret. We need to look at the history, the culture, the background, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, and then how we apply that to our lives today. And so in the first seven verses, at least with the first verse, there are five words that I think are important for us to look at. Five words. First, we're going to start with Paul's name. Paul. The next word is bondservant. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ called. Called is the third word. Apostle is the fourth. And the fifth is separated. Separated unto the gospel. Now Paul begins with his name. And we have to begin there because I think it's important. We need to understand who this man is who's writing the letter. First he introduced himself. I, Paul, or it will say Paul. And in those days, they didn't write letters the way we wrote letters. In those days, they wrote letters in scrolls. So you have to begin introducing yourself with the letter. Because if you didn't, you have to roll all the way down to the very bottom of the scroll. And that's not going to be fun. Especially if the scroll was somewhat like one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is about 28 feet long. <laughs> that's it. Chapter 1, done. <laughs> you know, that's how I read books anyway. Not just kidding. But, you know, just think about it. You have to, <laughs> there's not going to be a good reader right there. So Paul begins by opening this letter with his name. Now Saul, remember we met him first as Saul. Saul was his Jewish name. Paul was his Roman name. And there's a reason why Paul changed his name, which I think is fascinating, because Saul was a Pharisee. Pharisees always looked down upon people. They were holier than thou. They wore the robes, the men in black, with the curls, and they looked down on people. Now gave his life to the Lord, and now he's humbled himself, Paul. And what do Paul mean? Paul, his Roman name means little one in Christ or the least. That's what Paul means, little one in Christ or the least. Now, Paul humbles himself, especially when it came to titles. Something I think that many leaders in the church today or those who want to be leaders can learn from. And we see this throughout Paul's life. 
you see it throughout Paul's, it's consistent with his epistles. For example, Paul, when he writes to the church of Corinth, he, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. He said, of the apostles, the leaders, I'm the least of. You know, I'm not even worthy to be apostle. In his letter to the church of Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, to me, of who I am less than the least of all the saints. So when it came to religious or leadership titles, he considered himself less, the least. Even among the brothers and sisters in Christ, in the body of Christ, he considered himself the least, the less. It doesn't end there. And I think this is what fascinating by Paul. Because that was almost during his ministry, towards the end of his life, towards the end of Paul's ministry. You know what he wrote? He wrote to Timothy just weeks before he was martyred. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul writes, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came to save the world, to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Now, does the name really mean something to you now? If you know someone by the name of Paul, let them know the definition. And if they're not humble, let them know the definition and let them know these three verses. You see, Paul began his life with the leadership title. He humbled himself. When he came to sinners at the end of his ministry, just before he's going to be the president of the Lord, of the sinners, I'm the chief of. And this kind of tells you and I something. Never consider ourselves better than anyone. Even those who are not saved. Even those that are in the world. How can we think that we're better? No, we're not better than them. We're better off because we have Christ. And this was the heart of Paul. When it came to titles, he was the least. When it came to being a sinner, he was the chief. Now, Paul's dual citizenship, he could be called Saul or Paul, but he chose to stay with Paul, not only to humble himself, but also because Paul was an apostle for the Gentiles. He was an apostle for the Gentiles. Now, we see in Romans chapter 11, verse 13, Paul writes, For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. You see, Paul was one that he became all things to all men for the sake of the gospel, that many would come to know the Lord. To the Jews, he was a Jew. To the Gentiles, a Gentile. And everywhere he went in the beginning of his ministry, where did he go? He went to the synagogue first. Three days after he gained sight, after seeing the Lord on the road to Damascus, when he gave his life to the Lord, he was blind for three days. As soon as he regained sight and ate food, the first thing he did, he went to the synagogue. Everywhere in his missionary trip, he would go to the synagogue, to the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles. He's not saying that the Jews are better than the Gentiles. It's just that the Jews have been waiting for the Messiah for years and hundreds and thousands of years. So why not let them know, hey, listen, we found him. He came. He's Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, the one that you said that nothing good comes out of Nazareth, that's where he came from. And so that's the heart of Paul. Paul, now he's an apostle for the Gentiles. Now, he says, Paul, he begins with his name, and he begins with a humble title, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Humble title. He identifies himself as a bond servant, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, which really means a bond slave. A bond servant is a bond slave. I am a bond slave to Jesus Christ. If you've been with us during our midweek study of the book of Exodus, we did a little study of what it is to be a bond slave. The Lord gave Israel laws concerning taking care of those who were bond slaves, those that were servants. And there were servants. There were slaves, 
But after six years, if they wanted to stay with their master, they became bond slaves. Bond slave. You see, a servant is one who is hired. And during this time, Paul is writing to the church in Rome. Rome had over 60 million slaves. Slave was very common. Slaves or servants. Many of them were hired. And if they were hired, according to the Jewish law, they're to only be hired for six years. On the seventh year, they are to be set free. But what happens when a servant that's been serving his master for six years says, you know what? My six years are up. I love my master. The key word is love, and that's what it tells us in Exodus chapter 21. I love my master. I love the benefits. I love the 401k plan. I love the fact that I can pay $5 copay. I love that. He's really good to me. I want to stay. And he goes to his masters, I am willing to serve you as a willingly slave, a slave that's willing to give up his will. And so if that be the case, what happened is the master will take the slave who's willing to stay with him for the rest of life after the six years, will go with the priest, go to the town court or the city gate, and he would take his earlobe, either at the doorpost of the city gate or the doorpost of the house, and he would take a nail and drive a hole right through the earlobe, and he will put a ring. So whenever you saw a slave with an earring, that means he was a slave who was willing to serve his master a master and servant relationship. And I think it's a beautiful thing because we as believers in Jesus Christ, we follow after who? Jesus. Was not Jesus a bond servant in Philippians? It tells us, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, is that Jesus was a bond servant. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. And he was a faithful servant, you know, a faithful servant to the end. Even faithful unto the cross. He was a bond servant. He was a slave that was willing. He was a willingly slave. And so Paul had enslaved himself to Christ to be a servant, to obey his will. And saints, learn to be a bond servant to Jesus Christ. Giving up of your will to do his will. Let your earlobe be nailed to the doorposts of the kingdom of heaven. Surrender your life completely to it. Yeah, we're Christians, but many of their Christians are not really bond servants. They're waiting for the sixth year, and they're going to go. Be the one that's going to love the master, the master Jesus Christ. That word in the Greek is doulos, doulos, and it's a bond servant of Christ to obey. It says, not my flesh, not my will, but his. And so Paul identifies himself, his name, who he is with Christ. He's a bond servant. He doesn't care about titles. He avoids those titles, but he calls himself an apostle. He calls himself an apostle. Now, there are those today who love to label themselves apostles. Why I know that when I worked in the city, I met so many religious people. Uh, it was part of the scope of my job as community affairs with the police department, community affairs, and they gave their card. And I can't tell you how many titles. I, I just remember titles, not their names somehow, because they like to glorify themselves. I'm apostle. We're so glad you joined us today for Running the Race. Pastor Eddie Pinero has been walking through the Book of Romans with us, teaching us the truth and values found in its pages. As we continue to learn along with the recipients of Paul's letter, we'll find that the gospel message is present and practical for everyday life. If you've been touched by today's teaching and would like to listen again, you can find it on runningtheraceradio.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to the Running the Race podcast. 
when you do, you'll have access to the latest teachings as soon as they're made available. You can also connect with us on social media, like our Facebook page to join the conversation and add some encouragement to your newsfeed. Before our time with you today comes to an end, we'd like to take a moment and tell you how you can partner with us here at Running the Race. With more, here's Tracy. We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that running the race is missionary work? It is. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting running the race. Go to runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Give option in the main menu. Thanks, Tracy. That website one more time is runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks again for joining us today. Join us again for another insightful edition of Running the Race.